God Almighty, the great I am, who is worthy, none beside thee, God Almighty, the great I am. God, we come to give you praise today and we thank you for being here with us. Help us to open our hearts to you in this hour of worship and to one another that your spirit would do marvelous things for us. We ask this through Christ. Amen. Share what a greeting for those who are here in worship today.
I want to mention just a a few things uh, to remember uh, coming up. Today's the last day to drop off your Operation Christmas Child shoebox. So if you haven't done that yet, uh, you want to do that before the end of the day. You can put it on the table in the community room foyer. um, You can uh, leave it by the church office too. And we are accumulating those and taking them to the distribution center tomorrow. So uh, thanks to everyone who has participated in that. And we are praying that God will use not only our boxes, but all the uh, hundreds of thousands of boxes that will be distributed throughout the world in the coming weeks. Um, tonight, we, are, uh, we have the privilege of hearing the children's choir do a presentation called The Music Machine. That's what this thing here is about. And um, I don't even know what's going to happen in that machine, but <laughs> something's going to happen. I've heard rumors of... Uh, messes coming out of that but anyway confetti and stuff but so we really would love for you to be here tonight to to support our kids to hear them as they sing this musical it's about the fruit of the spirit what we've been talking about for the last few months we're meeting at five and then uh, plenty of time to go to your small group afterwards if you're part of that Uh, you'll also note that next sunday there are a couple of um of important things happening in the morning we will uh, host our annual food collection drive for the food pantry you can bring your food to the church to the services on Sunday morning and we'll stack it up and get it to the food pantry and it's a, we have been helping so many families over the last couple of months. Um, I think just over the last two weeks we helped nine families that represented uh, more than seventy five people I think uh, so we, a lot of a lot of people who are in need and uh, what you can contribute would be so helpful and also then next Sunday evening is the uh, end of our prayer vigil. And um, by the way, you can sign up for that this morning. There are lots of times open this final week. We're moving into the last week of the vigil. You can sign up this morning, anytime online. Uh, If you have any trouble signing up, just uh, contact the church office and we will help you with that. But we we really would love to have you be a part of this last week. And next Sunday at 5 o'clock, we'll gather here for a chance to share, to sing together, pray together. And then we're going to the community room and we're going to host a fruit potluck. Uh, bring whatever dish you want that has something to do with the, the nine fruit that we've been talking about over the course of the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we will also at that time distribute the uh, recipe books. I saw the first copy of them this week. They look awesome. So uh, thanks for everyone who contributed to that. So next Sunday night, uh, please note that. Also, we're going to have a baptism uh, gathering on Sunday evening, December 8th. Uh, a few of you talked to me about wanting to be baptized. If you haven't yet and you'd like to be a part of that, let me know this week. The number of prayer concerns listed here, other things, of course, we continue to pray for the the rescue efforts in the Philippines and the recovery efforts there. Uh, A lot of situations that are on our minds and hearts that we bring to the Lord in our prayers this morning. We want to uh, now take this opportunity to uh, offer to God uh, in tangible ways our our offerings, our tithes, and I'm going to ask the ushers to come and assist us as we give. So proud, my mind is so unfocused. I see the things you do through me as great things I have done. And now you gently break me, then lovingly you take me and told me as my father. And mold me out. 
ask you how many times will you pick me up when I keep on letting you down and each time I will fall short of your glory how far will forgiveness abound and you answer my child I love you and as long as you're seeking my face you'll walk in the power of my daily sufficient grace at times i may grow weak and feel a bit discouraged knowing that someone somewhere could do a better job for who am i to serve you i know i don't deserve you but that's the part that burns in my heart and keeps me hanging on i ask you how many times will you pick me up and i keep on letting you down and each time i will fall short How far will forgiveness abound? And you answer, my child, I love you. And as long as you're seeking my face, you'll walk in the power of my daily sufficient grace. You are so patient with me. As I walk with you I'm learning what your grace really means the price that I could never pay was paid at Calvary so instead of trying to repay you I'm learning to simply obey you by giving up my life to you for all that you've given to me I ask you how many times will you pick me up and I keep on letting you down and each time I will fall short of your glory how far will forgiveness abound and you answer my child I love you and as long as you're seeking my faith You'll walk in the path of my daily sufficient grace. pray together. If you'd like to come and use the altar rail, please join me as we pray.
Father, it is an awesome thing to think of your daily sufficient grace. What we do not deserve, what we could never earn, yet continues to be real for each of us. Help us in whatever moments, whatever feelings, whatever situations, whatever struggles we come with today to know your loving mercy and grace and to live in that assurance through your Spirit. Father, as we come today, we think about the world. We pray for the people in the Philippines who continue to deal with the unbelievable destruction from this typhoon. Grief, pain, loss beyond our ability to really grasp. Be present in this place of such sorrow and struggle. Let your people be a presence there. Father, we thank you for all of the shoeboxes that have been put together over the last few weeks that will be sent out and given to a child throughout the world Lord, we have no idea where our box or the boxes are going. And we wonder what such small gifts can really do. But we pray that you will take what we have done, what others have done, and bring transformation to not just the lives of children, but to families and communities and countries. We pray, Father, that you will work miracles. Lord, as we move into the last week of our prayer vigil, we see you working, we see you helping us, meeting us, and we pray that this last week will again be moments when we engage you and you engage us and something special happens. Help us to hear you. Help us to know that you hear us. And we ask, Father, for the power of your spirit to be revealed as we pray together. Do more than we could dream or imagine. Use this week to inspire us to the deeper things of your spirit. And through our prayers, transform us, this church, and our towns, our world. Father, as we come today, there are all kinds of concerns on our minds, in our hearts. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers for ourselves, for others, for your world.
Father, in the hope of Christ, make us people who trust you and serve you. Help us to live in anticipation of Christ's return and to live in such a way that we bear witness to who you are and what you want to do in this world. Let us be beacons of light and channels of love and grace of truth and justice. And as a sign of our unity, hear our united prayer as we remember the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. morning. Our reading for today is Genesis 3, verses 1 through 13. It's on page 3 in your Bible in your pew. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Please stand and sing with us. And the children may be dismissed for Children's Church and Junior Church.
Some of you might be familiar with an experiment that was done at, I think it was at Stanford University a number of years ago. Uh, It was called the marshmallow test. And it's about the, what they did is they took uh, little children, four or five years old, put them in a room all by themselves, at a table, sat them at a table, and had a little plate with a marshmallow on it. And they said to them, I'm going to be back in 15 minutes. If you don't eat the marshmallow, I'll give you a second one. And then they left the room, and of course they were videotaping secretly these children. And uh, two-thirds of them ate the marshmallow. One-third didn't. And I was, I was reading about this and watching a, a video about this earlier this week. And there was a, a gentleman, uh, I believe his name was Joaquim de Posada, who uh, decided that uh, he'd done a lot of research and study about this. And he wondered if it was only limited to people, children in America or if it would translate into other cultures. And so he ran the same experiment with some children in Colombia. And here you will see in this short video what the children do. And uh, it was very funny. They used four, five, and six-year-old kids. And let me show you what happened. Hasta para un niño de cuatro años, es atractiva la idea de tener el 100% de retorno a la inversión en 15 minutos. Sin embargo, algunos de ellos, tan pronto la puerta se cerró, se comieron el marshmallow inmediatamente. resistieron el impulso. It's interesting, he was talking, he goes on to talk about that little girl, and he said uh, she ate the inside of the marshmallow and left the outside so that it would look like she hadn't eaten it. (laughs) He was talking about this as a test for a measure of success in life and how things he said, so she'll be successful, but you just got to watch her. (laughs) You don't want to put her in a banking or something like that. Again, same results. Two-thirds of the kids ate the marshmallow. One-third didn't. It just reminds us of the struggle that we have as human beings to be self-controlled. 
And, and you know, the ones who didn't eat it, it was a huge struggle to not eat that marshmallow. And there are all kinds of things in our lives that we wrestle with related to self-control. It's an issue for us. Now, when we think about self-control, most of the time, we're talking about trying to keep our passions in check. I mean, that's our natural definition of self-control. I am going to keep my passions in check. I'm going to abstain from things that I shouldn't do. That, that's the most natural way when we think, when it comes to our mind, we think about self-control. And, and it's right. And, and we read through the scriptures... There are a number of admonitions about maintaining uh, our, our passions, keeping them in check. When you read through Paul, you certainly find that he talks about this in relation to all the issues related to sexuality. You see that over and over again. In, in fact, in the, uh, right before he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, Paul talks about the acts of the sinful nature. And he says, right away, the very first three things have to do with our sexual, with sexual issues. Immorality, debauchery, impurity. I mean, right up front, that's one of the big issues. But it isn't limited to that. You read through the scriptures in, in the Ephesians. Paul talks to them about the, the issue of self-control related to alcohol. And he says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Because he recognizes how what happens to us when we are drunk with wine, we we lose our inhibitions. We do things, people do things they would never think of doing when they are inebriated. And our culture is, is filled with all kinds of things that have happened, horrific things that have happened, because people have allowed alcohol to control them. And they have a sense of self-control when it relates to that. Anger is another issue. That anger, we, we wrestle with anger, keeping our anger in check. And, and, you know, maybe, I think this is one of the reasons Paul talks about, you know, be angry but don't sin. Because he knows how difficult it is for us to, to control the anger that gets to us. Another issue is probably food. And, and we become absorbed with food. And, and wanting food. And maybe that's why fasting is so important to us. Because it's so easy for food to control us. In the, when you boil it down, and there are lots of other things. But when you boil it down, it is really an issue of we can choose to do something. And we may even have the right to do something. But we choose not to do it. We decide we're not going to follow that practice. We're not going to give in to that temptation, that yearning, because we believe it is wrong. You see that in, in Acts 24, Paul is addressing Felix, the, the, one of the, the king of that area. And he's talking to him about righteousness and self-control and judgment And it says, Felix was afraid as Paul spoke to him. And he said, you know, go away from me. And more than likely, it relates to the fact that Felix had committed adultery and and taken this woman he committed adultery with as his own wife. And Paul was confronting him and he didn't want to hear it. It comes back to self-control. Did Felix have the right as the king to do what he wanted? I guess he probably could. 
But that didn't make it right. And when we think about self-control, what almost always comes to our mind is we're going to stop doing something that we know we shouldn't do. And it's about us. But you know what, I, as the more I ponder that, there is something of that mindset just in the whole culture. I mean, as a culture, we tend to say to people, don't do things that are going to harm you. And we have all kinds of, of, of things about that. And we push that even the next step to say, don't do things that are going to harm other people. And we, we have severe laws about people who, who drink and drive. And you see ads about it all the time, trying to get people to not do that. Not just because of what it does to them, but because of what it does to other people. And we see what happens when, when people are, are, are lose control about the things of life. It doesn't just harm us, it harms other people. And somewhere in our idea of what it means to live in self-control, it's about what other, how it affects other people, not just us. But even that, I don't think, is really getting to the heart of what Paul is talking about when he says the fruit of the Spirit, people who walk in the Spirit display this fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It has to be something different than how the rest of the world views self-control. Or it wouldn't be something that is specifically related to the Spirit in our lives. And I think one of the ways and one of the things that Paul is trying to say here is that when you think about self-control, it's not just about how it might affect you, not even just how it might affect other people, but it's a perspective about self-control to think about it in the way that God does. See, our culture talks about self-control, but only in the sense of what we think ought to be controlled. And as long as we don't think it's wrong, it does, you just do it. You try not to hurt other people, but that's really something they're going to have to deal with. We make our own decisions about what we should control and what we shouldn't. And if we don't think it's a big deal, we just don't worry about it. But in the kingdom of God, people who are filled with the Spirit, we are thinking not about ourselves... We're thinking that we're judging what we do and how we control our lives based on what God says. And that takes us to a completely different level. And now we're thinking about life the way God thinks about life. And we choose not to do things because God says that's not good. We choose certain pra- not, to, not to follow certain practices because God says that isn't good for you or for other people. And this takes on a different realm because now it's not just abstaining from the bad things. It's also not allowing the good things to control us. See, we, we have a pretty clear picture. That's a bad thing. Don't do it. I think for a lot of Christians, the issue is much more, that's a good thing. Don't let it control you. I mean, all these, even all the things that, that we've mentioned before that we wrestle with, they're all gifts of God in one way or another. Sex is a gift of God. God just says to us, it should be confined and enjoyed within the relationship of marriage. 
Even anger is a gift of God as long as it's directed toward injustice instead of toward our personal vengeance. Food is a gift of God. We need food to live. But it becomes something different when food controls us, when we're obsessed by it. And that's thinking in terms of of how God thinks rather than how we think. But it's not even just that. It's also the things that we, even the things that we do that are good, that we, that become, we become obsessed with. Even things like studying the scriptures, prayer, corporate worship. You say, no, wait a second. Those are all really good things and we need to be practicing those things. Of course we do. We need to be practicing these ancient biblical spiritual disciplines But sometimes those things become our focus. And those things become the end, not the means to get to the end, which is Christ. And we are more interested in these disciplines than we are in Christ. To whom the disciplines point us and lead us. And so we get wrapped up in, in we become obsessive compulsive about prayer and scripture and worship. Instead of having a sense of freedom, offering these things to God, allowing God to use them to help us see him and experience him and know him, they become an end in and of themselves. But I still don't think that is deep enough when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, self-control, I think there is another layer of what he's addressing. And I would word it this way. Spirit-led self-control is surrendering control of our lives to the Spirit. Spirit-led self-control is surrendering control of our lives to the Spirit. It is... It is letting go of our attempts to control our lives and let the Spirit control our lives. If that isn't Paul's meaning, then what we really have here are eight characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit that we can't do without the Spirit. And one, the last one, that if we're just good enough, if we're strong enough, if we work hard enough, we'll be able to do it. And that can't be what Paul's talking about. These are all possible only because of the spirit in our lives. And as hard as we try, as much as we give ourselves to control our lives, let's be honest, we can't do it. The only way to live in a spirit of self-control is to, let, is to surrender control of our lives to the spirit. And instead of thinking, how can I master this? Instead of thinking, if I just work harder, if I just do more, if I just press more, then I'll be able to control my life. We instead say, Lord, you know I can't do this. I surrender this to you. And I need your spirit to do in me what I can't do. And that's getting to the heart of fruit of the spirit as self-control. 
But giving up control is hard for us. We all, it's part of our human nature. We wrestle with it. Something in us wants to believe that we know better than God does, that we work hard enough, we can do whatever God might be, might be wanting to do in us. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Now, I know that, I'm pretty sure that if the fruit Adam and Eve ate wasn't an apple. I'm pretty sure that wasn't the case. But it has become so connected to that event that we, I couldn't choose any other fruit today to symbolize self-control than the apple. For so many people, that's what they think of when they think of Adam and Eve in the garden eating the fruit. They think of the apple. And when you think about that story, in essence, the, the evil one is saying to them, if, if you eat this fruit you won't have to worry about God anymore. You don't have to worry about surrendering yourself to God anymore. You don't have to live your life for God anymore. You will have all the knowledge that you need to live the way you want to. You will have everything that you need to be the kind of person that you want to be. If you just, if you just follow your own path, you will be fine. You don't need God I don't care what God tells you. It's not true. If you follow your own path, if you do your own thing, if you work hard enough, you will be able to accomplish all that you want and you don't have to surrender to God. You don't have to worry about what God thinks. You can just do it yourself. And we have been wrestling with that lie since. Something in us wants to believe that we can do it ourselves, just like Adam and Eve. And yet we are all walking failures. Because it's only in the Spirit. It's only through the power of the Spirit. Only as we surrender control, only as we give up our ability to do what we think we need to do, will we ever see this happen. Mark Laverton, in his book, uh, The Dangerous Act of Worship, tells of being visited one day by a guy who uh, had been having late-night conversations with his wife, who had just become a new Christian. And uh, he had come to, to Mark, the pastor of the church, this church, and, and he said, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm very busy, I'm very successful, a lot of things going on. I do want to know a little bit more about this Christianity thing, so can, I need you to just give it to me in the bullet points. Just, just lay it out in a nutshell real quickly and so I can move on and go to the next thing. And, and, and Mark said to him, you know, I, I, don't, think, I don't think you really want me to do that. He said, I, you know, I could have handed him a pamphlet. I could have given him some things to read. I, I, I could have given him the bullet points. But I didn't. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that because I don't think that you want that. And the guy she was surprised. He said, well... Why not? He said, because if I give you the bullet points, if I, if I tell you, even in a nutshell, what it means to be a Christian, it's going to mess up your whole life. If you think about it, if you really take it seriously, it's going to completely rearrange how you think about your work, your family, your own heart, your relationships, everything about who you are. And I don't think you really want to do that. 
do you? I said, no, I really don't. And then he said, but, but maybe we ought to talk about that a little bit more. And it led to a little longer, bigger conversation. And I suspect that there is within all of our hearts this sense, God, give it to me in a nutshell. Let me break it down to what feels right, what looks right, what makes sense to me, and then we'll move on. But the whole point of the Spirit in our lives is that it's going to transform us. It is going to change the way we think and and how we act and what we do and how we relate to each other and our priorities. Because either Christ is in control or he's not. And so, you know, C.S. Lewis says in The Great Divorce, in the end, there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to to whom God says, your will be done. And those are the two options. Philip Kinnison talks about the fact that one of the struggles we have with all of this is thinking that that uh, we we live that the best mindset, the the thing that the way that we live life most effectively, is is this idea of of moderation in everything, the the concept of balance. And, and as I pondered that, I realized, boy, that is so true. Because I, I have lived most of my life thinking the best way to live is balance. You get too far to extremes and you get fanatical, you get kind of crazy. What you want is balance right in the middle. You want, you want that, that balance that sits there and, and, and kind of keeps everything focused. But I have come to see in the last few years that the answer to our lives is not balance. It's tension. Because the, whatever we're talking about, whatever theological issue we're talking about, whatever, whatever thing we're relating to our walk with God, whatever biblical principle we're talking about, the answer is not either extreme. The answer is not somewhere in the middle as though they're half true. It is the tension of both things being true. But we don't like tension. We want to feel safe, and tension doesn't relate to safe. But God is far less concerned about us feeling good than he is about doing what is best for us. And he knows that the tension of life is going to lead us to him. Because tension is about mystery. It's about everything not being solved. It's about everything not being tied up in a neat bow. It's about even a level of uncertainty that causes us to say, God, I can't quite figure all of this out. I can't answer all of the questions. I can't get everything in place. I need you. Which is where he wants us to be. It's in the tension. In fact, it's in response to tension that most of our habits arise. We feel stress. We feel tense, we feel uncertain, and we begin to engage in something that makes us feel safe and comfortable, whatever that may be. And we think those things help us control life. What we don't realize until later is that those things are controlling our lives. 
And the call of God is to be willing to surrender so much to him that we live in the tension. That we don't have all the answers. That we sometimes don't feel safe. That sometimes we don't have all the certainties tied up, wrapped up. And to allow that to lead us into deeper trust of God. Because here's what's happening. It is leading us into the arms of the one who truly loves us. And who wants what's best for us. The one who says through the prophet Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. To prosper you, not to harm you. And our self-control is rooted in God's self-control. You look at the scriptures. There's so many times, I mean, almost every page of the scriptures, God has the right to to let go of his self-control and just eliminate people. Think of Genesis 18 with Adam and and Sodom and and Abraham and Sodom. And Abraham keeps praying for God to relent about the, the wickedness of Sodom. And God keeps saying, okay, okay. Think of Jonah and the Ninevites. And Jonah goes to preach to say to them, God's destroying you because of your wickedness. And as soon as they repent, he relents. In Luke's gospel, James and John, they're in a village, in Samaritan village, and the people reject Jesus. And their response is, do you want us to call down God's uh, fire on this town and destroy it? Jesus says, no, no, that's not the way we do things. And on the cross... The people who crucify him are mocking Jesus. You talk about self-control. To not say, you're going to get yours. But instead, Father, forgive them. It is the essence of the spirit in us creating that characteristic of self-control. Because we've surrendered to him. I was in the prayer room earlier this week and I, I, when I go in, I, I often like to listen to some music just to sort of quiet my heart and, and to, to uh, prepare myself for listening to God, speaking to God. I pulled out one of the CDs and I put it in and, and it, it played a song that I hadn't heard for a long time. It was, it was one of the old spirituals. And I was listening to this song and thinking about the slaves who lived their lives with virtually no control over their lives at all. Everything about their existence was controlled by other people. And for those Christian slaves, this became one of their songs that they sang about how they would respond to a, to a world that was out of control This was one of the songs that they sang. And I sat there listening and and thinking and pondering that. And it just, it grabbed my heart. And it began, and, and I sensed the Lord saying to me, that is exactly what I've been talking to you about. And all the times that you keep trying to, to control your own life, this is what you need to do. spoke deeply into my soul. 
maybe, maybe it will yours as well. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And when I am alone, oh, when I am alone, oh, when I am alone, give me Jesus, give me Father, in this moment of silence, speak into our hearts.
Hear our prayers. Father, give us grace to so surrender ourselves to you through your spirit that we actually live and we bear the fruit of self-control. We ask this through Jesus. Amen. Take all I am, Lord, and all that I cling to.
encourage you again uh, this week, everybody get one of the cards in the ends of outside and inside ends of the rows, make sure everyone takes one of those and write on it today, whatever God may be saying to you about self-control in your life and surrendering to him and let's commit ourselves together, take five minutes a day to pray for God to to implant his spirit in us that we might bear the fruit of self-control and the elders are downstairs if you'd like to Pray with them. They're there, happy to do that with you. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.